Greetings and welcome to the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. If you're new to the show, this is a long-form podcast where I sit down with guests and we just have a conversation. Now, these conversations are not scripted. They are raw and real. There's no editing. So wherever they go, they go. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the conversations as much as I know that I will. This episode is brought to us by Mike the Strongman. Are you tired of getting your training and nutrition advice from someone with only a weekend certification? Then perhaps it's time to turn to someone with over 15 years of research-based experience. Mike the Strongman can help you with all your training and nutrition needs. Mike has a proven track record of getting results with his clients. Visit MikeTheStrongMan.com for more information or email Mike at MikeTheStrongMan at gmail.com if you're ready to take your performance to the next level. This episode is also brought to us by the Healthiest You Chiropractic Center. The Healthiest You Chiropractic Center in Strongsville, Ohio is dedicated to giving their patient community the highest level of healthcare. Their doctors have been trained on the newest and most innovative styles of chiropractic and rehabilitative treatment. From back pain to ankle strains, the Healthiest You has remedies for a variety of injuries. Are you looking to perform better in life and activity? Their team takes a wellness-based approach on health rather than only focusing on symptoms such as pain. Call 440-238-3338 or email them at thychiro, that's T-H-Y-C-H-I-R-O, at gmail.com for questions about becoming a patient. Now is a better time than ever to become the healthiest you. And last but not least, this episode is brought to us by CrossFit Strongsville. CrossFit Strongsville is a place where everyday people become heroes every day. Through qualified coaching, challenging yet modifiable exercise programming, and a supportive community unlike any other, members find a way to break through personal barriers physically, mentally, and emotionally. No matter what level you're at, from the very beginner to the elite, You'll find you receive great service from the moment you walk through the door, and we promise it will be one of the best hours of your day. Check out CrossFitStrongsville.com for more information and to sign up for a free one-on-one consultation with the owner, a 12-year veteran of the fitness and therapy fields. Okay, folks, on today's episode, we have Mr. Ethan Franz of Instruments of Freedom, and he's the business partner of one of our favorite guests, Mr. Jeff Wilson. And the last time, those two were on the show together, and we got to know a little bit about Ethan's background, kind of his story, and a little bit, kind of some things that were going on with the shop. And uh, Ethan was a natural. He, he did great. He enjoyed himself on the podcast and wanted to come back on, and I couldn't wait to have him back on. So today, here he is back in the show, and we're going to talk about some big training events that he got to go to recently that hopefully were to not only develop his own skill, but also to develop the police officer skills from all over the state to take back to their own departments to keep up on training so that they can train as hard as they need to to keep us all safe and hopefully keep themselves safe as well. We had a great conversation and I hope that you enjoy it. So sit back, strap in, and enjoy our conversation. Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Uncensored Humanity Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Hest, and today we have back with us Mr. Ethan Franz of Instruments of Freedom. Ethan, how are we doing? Good, man. Uh, just enjoying a beautiful Sunday. So. It is is a gorgeous day outside. So Ethan was on last time with his business partner, Jeff Wilson, 
And uh, Jeff's one of our regular guests, and Ethan wanted to come back on, and we're just going to have a good conversation, kind of see where things go here. So you said you were at some training here recently. Why don't you tell us about that? Um, Yeah, I actually just got back from the Ohio Tactical Officers Association. It is a week-long training event for uh, law enforcement agencies all across the state of Ohio, and, and even including some states that border the state of Ohio, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, um, I believe I actually saw some guys from Texas. As oh, well. wow. So, I mean, uh, they, they traveled quite a ways to come to this. Um, now, is that something that people have to like sign up for? Or are they, are they eligible to just show up? Or how does that work? It, I don't think it's open to everybody. Um, I kind of cheated the system. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was able to get in because of Jeff, uh, you know, with his law enforcement background. He kind of talked to the director, some of the big wigs at OTOA, um, and was able to ask them, hey, this is my partner, this is what we do, can I get him a membership to OTOA so that way he can attend training? And uh, they basically, I don't know if they did a check on me or whatever, they sent their little van around to follow me around, whatever they do, <laughs> and uh, uh, they approved me, so I went ahead and signed up for their association and this was my second year back, um, so it was really enjoyable. Um, one of my classes actually got canceled, so I did have a free day to myself. But like we were talking earlier, I caught up on computer work, and I was doing all that stuff and just banging away on the keyboard. So that way I could catch up on emails for like you know a couple of days of obviously being out of town, away from home. Yeah, I was trying to just catch up on stuff that I had been neglecting. You know, for those couple days. Of course. So you, st you still got to get the work done. Yeah, you just got to squeeze yeah. it in wherever you can. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was a great conference. We actually stay up at Kalahari, uh, the indoor water park up in Sandusky. Um, so there's about 1,700 cops up there running around uh, of all different agencies, from you know your regular patrol officer. They had SWAT, you know, uh, operators, if you'll want to call them that. Uh, hostage response teams, special response teams. I mean, if there's a law enforcement uh, job, you can probably guarantee somebody there does that job. Yeah. So, um, but I will say this, man. You think that cops would be well-behaved? They're not. No, of course not. Because <laughs> they're running uh, the cops. They know they're not going to get in trouble. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to call the boxes. cops. Say, we are the cops. <laughs> I, I can remember... Uh, Hearing a, a talk from uh, Gabriel Iglesias, the comedian, yeah, <laughs> and, and he was talking about how he did this benefit for law enforcement, and like his agent called him and said, "Hey, you know, can you do this benefits for these cops? We're going to come in, we're going to do this kind mm -hmm. of stuff." And he's like, "Yo, it's possible. How much do they pay? Like, well, it doesn't pay anything." He's like, "Uh, then no." It's like, "Oh, well, you have this uh, outstanding warrant for these, <laughs> you know, tickets or whatever," and they, they said they would get rid of it or help you out here if you came and did this. Like, oh, um. I'll be yeah, on my way. Come and pick me up because I don't have a car, and I'll be there. <laughs> and he and he said that he he got there, and he's like he's in this room full of cops, and they're all drinking, they're all partying, probably there yeah, with their oh, wives, yeah. and just having a good time, just cutting loose because they have such a high stress job. Well, and you I know. think I think that's part of it too. You know the way those guys, I don't want to say carry on because it it wasn't excessive. You know, of course not. But I mean, if you think about people who think to themselves every morning, man, I may not make it home tonight. You know, they get a week of, this is vacation to me. 
you know, they're going to cut up. They're going to cut yeah, loose. Yeah, not to mention know, they're and, out and, with a bunch of people who understand what they're going exactly, through and everything else. Exactly. It's, it's, it's therapy. It really is what it is. Yeah, you know. It's, it's like the whole adage, work hard, play hard. Exactly. And, <laughs> and so I think, um, you know, they were just doing their thing, you know, partying, kind of just kicking back and relaxing, blowing some steam off, you know. So, so it, it, like I said, it wasn't excessive. It wasn't um, disrespectful you know, to the other people staying there. I mean, there was one night where they were partying till about three in the morning and there was a guy who would step out on his balcony about every 15 minutes. I'm trying to sleep. You got to shut the fuck up. (laughs) (laughs) Yelling at him and stuff. And they were yelling back and all kinds of stuff. (laughs) I mean, it was funny, but I also remember when I was younger, we used to go do stupid stuff like that. And, you know, we'd be aggravating people, bothering people in a way. And so they're like, you know, like, all right, uh, all right, cool, man. I uh, guess it's just payback for all those years we used to do that kind of stuff. So. Yeah, I've been on both sides of that. It's yeah. A, it is what it is. <laughs> so, but... Now, uh, now is the, uh, the classes, I assume there's probably a mixture of, like, classroom kind of classes where you're indoors and you're teaching, there's lectures and what people have learned and that kind of stuff. And there's probably also a lot of training out on the range. Yes. Because of doing some, tra- like, uh, different shooting and scenarios and that kind of stuff. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's probably... I want to say between, and this is just a guess, between 100 and maybe 150 classes that you can choose from between the three days of training that you have available to you. Um, the three classes that I signed up for this year were uh, Transformable Trainer, which was basically how to be a better instructor, you know. Uh, the well, well, that obviously makes sense with you guys running the range and doing classes and everything yes, else. Yeah, you know, being able to connect with people on a on a more personal level or just being able to um, explain your message a little bit better. You know, that makes things easier for us because the more information we can get across seamlessly, the more information they can learn. Um, the next class I signed up for was called Profile of an Active Shooter. And that course was actually canceled last minute, so I didn't get a chance to attend that one. Um, I'm not sure what that one was exactly about. Yeah, profile of an active shooter. Like, that sounds more like the psychology behind it and kind of what you're looking for maybe before things really go bad. And I think that is basically the gist of it. Um, But again, the instructor for that course, uh, the first day was a no-call, no-show. So I got a email from the director of training at OTOA, and they said, hey, this class has been canceled. So, um, like I said earlier, I just kind of sat in the hotel room and banged out some work on the keyboard for being away from home, you know, yeah, trying to catch up on that kind of stuff. And then uh, the last class that I took <clears throat> was, uh, I, I believe it was called Fighting Handgun from Concealment. So everything that we did was concealed handgun it was based around carrying a concealed handgun um so for a lot of the police officers that probably like your off-duty scenario whereas they probably don't get a lot of training with that because no. they're probably used to their duty gear where everything's out in the open and they can just grab their rig and like get rocking and rolling yeah yeah um i was actually because in at the beginning of that class the instructor asked has anybody here taken a concealed only class before and obviously because of what i do i raised my hand and he looked at me and he said you're the first person in all three days who's done you're you're the only person in all three days that we've been training out here 
that raised their hand for that question. Unfortunately, that is not a surprise to me at all. No, and 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 the same goes for me as well. I wasn't that surprised to hear that, but um, I was surprised at the amount of people who actually showed up for that course, and simply because, like you said, they carry a, a duty belt, they they carry their gear open. You know, generally, unless you're either undercover or off duty, generally, you know, a law enforcement officer is not going to carry a concealed handgun, let alone train with it. Yes. You know, um, so with that being said, uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the outcome of the course in and of itself. And um, I was really happy to see my skill level. You know, right up there with all those guys. I think the only guy who actually had better hits and better times than me was a guy who did competitive pistol shooting in his spare time. Okay. So, I mean, he was law enforcement and everything, but he also did competitive pistol shooting. So he was like my guy that I was watching out of the corner of my eye. Like, <laughs> like all right, man, I got your number. I'm you chasing know? you down, yeah, buddy. Yeah, you know, and, and, and I talked to him a little bit, and he was a really great guy, really nice, and... You know, we got to chatting back and forth because I think he kind of saw that in me, too. You know, he was like, all right, this guy knows what he's doing, kind of, you know. So um, I think having something like that, we had that little friendly competition going back and forth. And and uh, I think that was really cool, you know. I mean, that's that's what makes things fun. And, and the good thing about a competition like that is is that it's not like a win-lose. It's not like playing baseball exactly. or basketball or something like that where one team has to win and one team has to yeah. lose. This is you against the timer. And yeah, you want to compete against other people. Yeah. You want to beat them. You want to do that. But essentially, it's you on you. So yeah. ev- everybody there is going to want you to do your best. Yeah. You know, so they're, they're going to be cheering you on. It's it's a fun kind of environment to be in. Yeah, like you said, it, it's not a competition of, me versus somebody else or me versus everybody else it's me versus me yeah how how can i be better than i was this morning or yesterday um so and and what i thought was cool too was because i'm not law enforcement all those guys would come up to me well what agency are you from i said well i'm not you know and at first people would kind of you know recoil back a little bit and they're like what do you mean how the hell did you get here i said i just showed up I, I, I didn't know this was going on. I just showed up <laughs> and uh, until they called my name on the roster and then they all kind of looked at me and I was like, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so, but uh, no, I, I make some good connections. Um, you know, I actually gave out uh, some of my, you know, information to some people and just like, hey, man, if you're ever in the area, look me up. We'll go do something together, or, you know, drink a beer, go shoot some guns or wh- whatever, you know, yeah. if you're in the area. So I thought that was really cool. And and um you know not to be not not to brag or anything but i thought it was really nice too that i was recognized by certain people there as well you know i had one guy actually chase me down at a, at the trade show portion of it and he's like hey ethan come here come here and he i mean he chased me down the hallway because i didn't hear him and he's like hey i got something for you and he handed me a patch you know he goes i've been meaning to give this to you i say this just for you you know, and this is only my second year back, so yeah. I thought that was really cool. That's really cool. You know, f- to get that recognition, you know, a little bit of an ego stroke, if you will, you know. I so. mean, it's, it's almost like that. that's, a, especially in, like, the police, you know, like, military and those kind of guys, they're they're big on their patches. Yeah, oh, yeah. And then that, that to me, tells me that he, he basically offered you 
acceptance into their world. Yes. It's like you're one of us. Yeah. I don't care that mm-hmm. you're not a cop. I don't care that you don't risk your life every day. You know, it's it's like mm-hmm. you're you're still one of us. You know, yeah. You're, you're doing the same kind of things that we're doing. Yeah. And, and that's and, really and, cool. Yeah, and that's what I mean. You know, it was it was uh heartwarming, you know, the fact that you know, I'd be walking down through a, a trade show or, or a section of the booths or whatever, and then somebody, hey, man, how you doing? You know, it's, you know, what, what are you doing this year versus last year? Or, you know, I hope things are going well for you, and et cetera, et cetera. You know, people were, again, not, it wasn't a whole lot of people, but there was still a couple that, you know, recognized me and, and you know, hey, man, glad that you made it. Glad to see you here. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool, man. That's, Thanks, that's really man. Cool. Rock and roll, baby, you know. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. And uh, Do you have any uh, big takeaways from training this year? Any any big things you want to put into some of your classes or even your training? Yeah. Um, it, there's so much, it's hard to fit it into our little window that we're talking here. But I guess one of the big things that kind of hit home with me was my first class, the Transformable Trainer. We... Uh, talked about the value of not using the word don't. Um, you know, like obviously you understand when, when you're have when you're shooting or when you have someone trying to instruct you on shooting and they say, don't slap the trigger or don't, you know, re- don't retreat back to the holster as quick as you think you should, you know, um, certain things like that. Instead of saying, don't, don't do this or don't do that, say, try this. Or do this to prevent this. Don't tell them don't do something. Yes. You know, that word don't. I think that's a really important cue from a person who's played sports all mm-hmm. my life. And I'm you know doing the Olympic weightlifting thing still and doing all that kind of stuff. When I'm working with other athletes or people or what have mm-hmm. you, I never go into the don't do this, don't do that. Yeah. Especially like if they're getting ready to go up and do something, whether it be like, a, you know, like going to bat, you know, in a baseball game or you know, going up to do a lift, you know, it's like you, you never want to have them focus on the negative things because that's where their mind tends to go. If, if their mind starts thinking, let's say you're, you're on the golf tee and there's water off to mm-hmm. your left, you're like, okay, don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. Don't hit it in the water. What are you going to do? You, you fucking hit it, hit right it in the water because <laughs> you're, you're, you're going to do what your mind's focused on. Instead, mm-hmm. like I always try to tell my athletes and you know, people that I'm coaching is, you know, go up there and focus on what you're doing. Yep. You know, and, and normally I kind of keep those cues very simple mm-hmm. and there's only a couple of them. Yeah. But, but as, like, like you said, instead of saying, don't slap the trigger, it might be like, okay, squeeze the trigger. Yeah. They have that focus on doing the right thing. Yes. And, uh, and again, I think I understood that in a way beforehand, but when I took that, that course, it, it was just reinforcing that and, and to see it in a different manner reminded me of that. And it just. Now, and it's fresh. It clicks more. And- well, that, that's the great thing about doing things over and over again and seeing them from a different perspective or from different instructors yes. and coming through a different way. It's kind of like what we were talking about before the, we started the podcast is a lot of times, you know, teaching and coaching is just saying the same thing numerous different ways until, so, they until get the it. one person <laughs> understands it. Because yeah. they're not going to understand it the way you understand it. They're going to understand it the way they understand yes. it. You've got to find that way. Mm-hmm. But what's what's so important with that is that you have to focus on a lot of those good parts to kind of, to kind of make that change. And it's, I mean, it's it's like people always say all the time, it's better to be reminded 
than it is instructive. Yes. Because they've already kind of figured it out before. They've got it in their their own minds. But once they have that click, that aha moment yeah. that you had this year with the don't say the yeah. don't, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I've heard that before and it all makes sense and I understand why. But now it's like, boom, now, yeah. it's, now it's right in your head yeah. and, and now you'll be able to go with that and that'll just become part of what you do. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that was one of the things I took away, you know, and because uh, – I guess what I enjoy about this a lot too is that just because I'm a good shooter or just because I'm a good quote unquote business owner, if you will, doesn't make you a good instructor. You know, just because you're good at something, not everybody can teach others how to do that. Absolutely. And so that made me feel good because it kind of reinforced the fact that I can teach people, which in my opinion is the biggest hurdle of my profession because not everybody can teach i have had guys who have helped me you know instruct if you will and they're just not maybe instructing just isn't for them well it's some people i think have a more natural knack for it yes like i've been told that a lot for myself that people people say that i'm a good teacher i'm a good coach mm-hmm. they, they like learning from me I tend to nerd out on things. Yeah. So I, I, I go way over the deep end. I yeah. get in all the little nitty-gritty details. And most people don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. But some people really need some of that stuff. So I don't normally share all of it. But I usually share at least some of it until yeah. they don't look interested. And then I kind of move on. Move on. But yeah. it's like anything else in life. I mean, if you put enough time and energy into it, you can be a really good instructor or coach or teacher, anything you want to be, if Mm -hmm. if you put enough time and energy into it. But obviously some people like yourself have more of a knack for it. Yes. And you're going to get better faster. And somebody may never get as good as you. Yeah. Because you're going to work hard. You're not just going to be complacent with that and say, Oh, well, I'm a good teacher. So people Mm -hmm. always going to come to me like, no, you're out learning, you're training, you're, you're thinking you're, you're asking people older than you, younger than you, you don't Mm -hmm. care. You want to learn. Yeah. And that, that's a trait that most people just don't have. Mm -hmm. So, so somebody who's not normally a good instructor who just puts a lot, a lot of time and gets better, they're never going to be as good as you can be, but they can always get better and be a good instructor later. So I don't know if I agree with the, no, they're just not cut up for it or whatever. I just, they just have to work harder than most people. No, and 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 I guess I I agree with you on that. You know, um, I guess the way I put it was more black and white yes. than than and I th- what I, think, I intended. But I think a lot of people think that way, and it's just it's good to always kind of break it down and realize, especially when you first do something, mm-hmm. you're gonna suck. Yeah, <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're, you're gonna be horrible at it. Yeah, now, some people might be better, so they might suck less than somebody yeah. else. <laughs> but but essentially, it's like you just, it takes time. You just gotta put yeah. the time and energy into it, like anything else. Well, and that's what I try to, I tell a lot of my students that, that, you know, there are no masters, there are no experts, just people who have been students longer than others. Yep. That's all it is. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, I think on our last episode of the podcast, we talked about Kenny Shriver. Yep. The old salty bastard. (laughs) And, um, you know, and, and I got to see him here recently and, and I haven't seen him in quite some time and. Uh, I, I was actually driving down the road and they had the rig set up on a job site. So on my way back, I just whipped in and I stopped and I was messing with them a little bit, giving them a hard time. And, uh, you know, even, even now he's been doing it for almost 50 years and, and he still learns something every day, you know? And, and I think that that's, 
beneficial for him. That's yes. what makes him who he is. I mean, I, th- I think that's the difference in people having, you know, 20 years of experience instead of one to two years experience, you know, 10 to 20 times. Yeah. Because some people just get into a rut and they do the same thing over and over. They don't learn. They don't mm-hmm. expand. They don't, you know, challenge themselves. They just do it, you know, just punch the machine like like, like you want to see like a, yeah. like at a, what do you call it? Wow, I have a huge blank here. I think some like like industrial um, maintenance work or not yeah. maintenance work, factory work. Wow, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> think of that. But they just, they go in there and just do, just a dummy, move the part, press the button. Uh, like yeah, you don't get twenty years experience doing that. No, it's just you know one year's experience twenty times. Yeah, but when you're out doing different things and learning and growing and trying and just challenging yourself, that's when you truly get your twenty years experience because then you can. Hopefully, teach that on to the newer generation and save them all the headaches yeah. that you had to go mm-hmm. through. Well, and I think that's the one uh, leg up that I do have on certain things simply because I, like with Jeff, I got to learn everything that he learned over a 28-year span in two years because he taught it to me. So not only did I learn all his little tricks and tips and all that stuff, now I get to learn all my own tips and tricks and, and things like that. So, you know, uh, a conversation I just had last night was a, with a friend of mine. And he said, wouldn't it be nice if you could walk up to a machine, stick a dollar in it, and it would spit out experience? <laughs> and I said, dude, I, you know, I'm right there with you. You know, no, I, I Go get a stack of hundreds. Like, yeah, let's no, go no do shit. this thing. <laughs> so going down to the experience machine, you need anything? <laughs> so... But I thought that was an interesting point, you know, because nobody had ever put it to me that way before. No, that's an excellent way of looking at it because it, it has to be earned. Yeah. You know, and yeah. You, you know, you can learn it from other people's experience, but that's a really tough thing to do. Yeah. And uh, so I thought that was, you know, an interesting point and And uh, it was just something that, you know, we were talking about. We were talking about, uh, you know, just different things that we'd done to accumulate the experience that we had and uh and that was one of the things that he said was you know man wouldn't that be nice and heck yeah that would be nice you know i mean we would in my opinion i think that you know at least for me because i i try to think as though i don't abuse my experience you know i try to use that and and like we said earlier being a consummate student just always growing i don't think to myself well i have X amount of experience that makes me better than so-and-so or, you know, um, whatever. So I think it is humbling a little bit because like that class I just took on Friday, you know, um, I was nervous when we started, man. I was like, you know, a little shaky and and I was like, Ooh, okay. All these people watching me, uh, am I going to do good? Am I going to suck? Am I going to make myself look like an idiot? That's the funny thing about competition. Yeah. That it's just, I, I swear, because I've shot competitions for years, as soon as that buzzer goes off, you lose like 30 <laughs> brain cells. I mean, it's like, like 30 points in your IQ, just like instantly gone. Yep. Like, I had this whole plan of what I was going to do, and I was going to move here and shoot there and reload and do this kind of stuff. And yep. it's like, as soon as that buzzer goes off, man, it's that Duh. little bit of stress. And <laughs> oh, plus, yeah. everybody else is watching, all mm-hmm. eyes are on you, like, don't screw it up, don't screw it up. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it gets to you real quick, so I totally get it. Yeah, so... I just think that's one of the 
humbling things for me is that I, as I try to tell myself that is that, you know, all the people that I look up to, it took them a lifetime to acquire the skills and knowledge that they have, the experiences and such. And I think that reminds me to be patient, you know, just shut up, man, learn, listen, you just do what you got to do to accumulate those skills and experiences and knowledge. Yeah. You know? So, like I said, it's humbling, and it reminds me to be patient. Which is good, because there's only so much you can learn from other people without having your own experiences to yes. fall back on. Mm-hmm. No, and I agree. So That's awesome. So, uh, what other training have you done recently besides the Ohio Tactical Officer? Um, well, uh, two weeks prior, we were in Michigan doing the Michigan Tactical Officers Association, which is MTOA. Um but we go up there to instruct. Okay. Um, so I'm learning still, but I'm learning a different, I, I'm I'm poking at a different part of the brain, if you will. Yes. You know, because instead of learning how to be better at my craft, I'm learning how to be a better instructor for people, you know. And again, it's it's in, it's all in the same category, but it's a different subsection, you know. Um, so... I I got to develop my skills as an inst- you know instructor for those couple of days and and uh, one of the things I asked Jeff before we went up there I said hey man would you be cool to kind of step back and let me run more of this section of the class because I feel as though I can put that message across to people and just see what happens you know there's only one way I'm gonna be able to stand in front of these guys and do it. And that's if you let me stand in front of them yeah. and fuck it up a couple of times. Absolutely. You know? And so that was kind of neat. Um, we had uh, one of the Worcester PD guys um, go with us. Uh, I, I don't necessarily want to put his name out there. Just, of course. J- just because I haven't spoke to him about it. Um, but he and I struck up kind of a pretty good relationship, friendship. We were, you know, I mean, we were laughing and cutting up and carrying on the whole week we were gone. You know, and, and when we got back, it was... Like, man, I kind of miss that guy already. You know? <laughs> I just got home like two hours ago. You know, two hours, we're home and we're already texting One of those other. things, just like an instant friend. Yeah, yeah. and so I thought that was kind of neat. Um, and uh, just kind of doing our thing, man. Um, I haven't done much training as a student this year just because things have been so busy with the store, you know, trying to get things in order, trying to organize other classes so we can continue to teach. Um we started back our Tactical Tuesday program up again. Good. So, um, you know, we've been running that, you know, every Tuesday. And uh, as well as, I don't want to say we brought a couple guys on to help instruct, but we kind of did. You know, we have a couple guys who are starting to dip their toes into the water of, hey, I think about being an instructor. This is what I'd kind of like to do. All right, well. You know, we'll give you a shot. You know, I mean, the worst that's going to happen is you're not going to be worth it. And, you know, or you figure out, hey, this this isn't for me and, and you know, be done. Yeah. So uh, we're still working with them a little bit here and there and, and we'll see what happens. So. All right. So so back up to the Michigan training. So when you go up there, mm-hmm. do you take your own classes that like you and Jeff kind of run around here for some of your clients or some of the police officers around here? Or do they give you um topics they want you to cover and you kind of build a class around that uh, it's a combination okay so basically they give us 
hey, this is what we would like to see based on the other classes that are being taught. This is because your... basically you, you want a good variety of different classes for these officers to choose from for whatever's going to benefit their job or their department the best, correct? Yes, um, but it's also at the officer's or the attendee's leisure on choosing what classes they get to take. Exactly. So, um, you know, if we want to make sure we continually have a high turnout, you know, rate, we obviously have to keep updated or change our program from time to time, you know, um, because this year we taught M4 operator and pistol shooting. So we were doing rifle and pistol work. So a lot of these guys would show up with their patrol rifle and obviously their pistol. So there, a lot of these guys were in full kit the now, entire time. Now, now, what is that for people who don't understand what that is? Uh, which part? Like uh, like the, the M4, their, their full kit, like what, what the police officer was uh, doing. Because okay. I think mo- most people, when they think of police officers, they think only pistol. Yeah. So a lot of the people who attended our class this year were either SWAT or HRT, which is hostage rescue teams, or SRT, which is special response teams. Um, so basically, uh, a law enforcement officer who their capacity goes beyond just being an average patrol officer, you know, riding in a cruiser or walking a beat. Uh, so when I say full kit, you know, these guys have their vest on with their armor. You know, they've got their radio and their headset, and they've got all their medical gear on them. They've got their pistol and all their magazines, their rifle, you know. They would look more like a military kind of unit than they would an actual police officer. Because, again, they're going into more of a specialized kind of situation. Yes. So, imagine what you see when you picture a SWAT team on TV. Yes. That's basically, in a nutshell, what these guys, appearance-wise, look like. Yeah, and a lot of these guys have to get special training for that. They've got to qualify on the weapons system, so if they want to be able to carry that rifle, they have to go do training and qualify and do all that kind of stuff for that. So, I would imagine a lot of these kind of weekends, or weeks, I should say, is a good chance for them to kind of requalify, maybe, or just get some additional training in that. Yeah, more additional training than requalification, uh, because we're not certified to requal anybody in law enforcement. Um, well, let me rephrase that. I'm not, um, I'd have to double check and I think Jeff may be, but I'm not hundred percent sure about that. Uh, I, wanna... I would assume that he is with as much of the police training that he's done. I would but... assume so, but it's hard to say. Yeah. Um, so what we would do is we would spend the majority of our time doing, you know, we, we first started out with our pistols, pistols only, you know, um, we, we ran one of my favorite drills, which is called dot torture. Um, it's it's a great, in my opinion, diagnostic tool as well as a warm-up. It's only 50 rounds, you know, and you can usually bang it out in probably about 20, 25, maybe 30 minutes, depending on the level of the students. Well, this also sounds like a good thing for maybe people to do at their home range or when they go to the indoor range to practice. Yeah. And well, kind of explain and, what that is a little bit. So, uh, I, guess, I guess to just to back up a hair, I tell people all the time, Google dot torture and you'll find it. It's a, it's a target. It's got 10, two inch, two or three inch circles on it. And each one's numbered one, two, three, four, five, blah, blah, blah. Okay. And each circle has its own specific set of instructions. Like me, because I've done it so many times, I actually memorized it. So I know like for the number one circle, you have to do five rounds, slow fire into the number one circle. And then you do that, you know, five rounds. So, number two circle is draw, you know, present, 
uh, your weapon, push it out to a full presentation, one round in the number two circle. Okay, and then you do that four or five times. And then they have three and four, which is you draw one round in three, one round in number four circle. So not only are you now getting the slow fire, now you've got draw and presentation. Now you have draw, presentation, transition. Then you have your number five circle, which is five rounds in the number five circle, strong hand only. Okay, so if you're right-handed, you would shoot right-handed only. If you're left-handed, left-hand only. And then you have six and seven. It's same thing as three and four, except instead of one round and three, one round and four, you're now doing two rounds and six, two rounds and seven. So, you know, draw, present, boom, boom, transition to number seven, boom, boom. You know, so you're gradually increasing that skill level. Well, that, that sounds like a great thing for people to do because a lot of times, you know, people go out to the range, I think, and they just kind of shoot off a bunch of rounds. They don't have any kind of structure to what they're doing. Yes. And something like that is simple. They could have a couple of their own targets, take with them, paste them up, you know, like take take your time. I mean, yeah. if, if that means that, you know, if it takes you 10 seconds to get five rounds in the in the number one hole, yeah. take your 10 seconds. Yeah. And maybe next time you can try to get nine and a half, you know, well, try to get a little bit faster. Yeah. And I mean, it specifically sl- says five rounds, slow fire. Yeah. You know, they want you to take your time on that specific one. You know, and like I said, if, if you shoot nine millimeter and all you have is one 50 round box, you can do this drill. You know, that costs you between nine and fourteen dollars depending on what do. kind of ammo you're getting yeah yeah and, and that's, that's a that's and, a great training yeah tool and too. you're getting a little bit of everything in my opinion you know because then we go down to the number eight circle which is where you draw present out transition to your what i like to call your other dominant hand <laughs> um which i learned from a navy seal which i always joke i said other dominant hand is such a navy seal thing to say but uh you put five rounds in the number eight circle with your other dominant hand and then we have 9 and 10, which is draw, present, one round and nine, emergency reload, one round and 10. So you're getting a little bit of everything with that. And it's only 50 rounds. You know, I think it's a great training tool. Yeah, for somebody who doesn't have a lot of time and money, yeah, that would be a great thing to do, to just go to the range, spend a half an hour probably, yeah. get set up, run through their drills, do all that kind of stuff. And then it's only one box of ammo. You're not shooting three, 400 rounds yes. where the price mm-hmm. really starts to add up. Yeah. And uh, again, like I said, anybody who's listening, you can go on to Google, type in dot torture, go to images, right click, save, print, and print them out for free if you have access to a printer at home or work or whatever. And, uh, you know, that is literally what we start every Tactical Tuesday with. Every Tactical Tuesday. Because you said it's, it's more like a warm-up, but it's drills, but you're also working on all the different parts of exactly. your shooting. Exactly. So that's great. So, yeah, I think that's a great training tool, um, as well as one of my personal favorite drills, other than that, is called Blaze X. And it's one that I learned from Pat McNamara of uh, T-Max Inc., who, if you don't know who he is, he, this dude is a manimal. Okay? <laughs> I mean, this dude is just, you, you want to talk about badass to the core, man. This guy is it. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure we talked about him pretty extensively yes, last time yes. you and Jeff were on the show. Um, he's, a, he's a crazy sumbit, that's yeah, for sure. He, yeah, that's, yeah. So uh, what you do is you have five cones, and you're, you put them in an X pattern. So you have one in the circle, and a couple steps to your left and right, you put a cone down, and the same thing behind you. And what we do is you start in the center. You draw, present, one round on steel, uh, 
let me rephrase that. You get one hit on steel. No matter how many shots it takes to hit that, you have to hit get one round one hit on that steel. And then from there I can move in any direction I choose, whether if I, I want to be forward left or back right, it doesn't matter. At, the first move is always at the discretion of the student. So I start in the center, present for the sake of this conversation. Let's just say I hit every one, okay? <laughs> So, Which I'm sure is the case. Yeah, always. I, every time. I don't miss. <laughs> um, so let's say I move uh, forward right. Okay, once I get to that forward right cone, because I'm on the right side, I can only engage that steel with my right hand. Okay, so center, I move forward right. I, you know, uh, single hand, right hand only. Boom, one hit on steel. And then I'm going to turn, look at where I'm going to move, because obviously in real life we don't run backwards. So I'm going to turn, look, see my point of egress, and I'm going to move back to the center cone. And then again, full presentation, both hands, boom, one hit on steel. Now, when you're doing that, I assume, obviously, it's going to be like your normal kind of range rules where you're not going to have the weapon kind of in front of you pointed backwards. You're probably going to point it down range to keep it in a safe location. Well, generally, I don't keep it pointed down range, and, and, and it's hard for me to describe with just words. It would be a lot easier for me to just to show somebody what I mean, because one of the things that we try to break people of is what we call the square range mentality. Okay. If I'm running from somebody, okay, am I going to be running with my gun pointed behind me because the bad guy is behind me? Generally, no. So what I tell people to do is if I have to move in a direction that is not generally downrange, point your pistol at the ground, you know, um, because the, the fastest way to get from point A to point B is as fast as possible. Yes. So, you know, whenever we move and from one position to the to the next, you know, if if I have to turn my back to the downrange or to my target, I'm obviously not going to keep my arm pointed behind me like, you know. Yes. And, and that makes sense in a tactical world where you guys are teaching, you know, police officers yes. and that kind of stuff. Just if you're trying this at home. Check with your range officers and what you're allowed to do on uh, yes, your range. Yes, obviously abide by the rules and yeah, regulations. So a lot of the ranges range. that, that I've shot at, there's the 180 rule. If you're standing there looking forward, you yes. can't break the 180. If so, yes. you're gone. No. And, you know, and, so you got to be really careful with that. It's just to whatever ranges you're at. You're at yes, but. and I do understand that too. And I'm not asking people to do anything intentionally unsafe or to intentionally or consciously point their weapon at somebody that doesn't deserve of it. Of course. Um, but obviously, if if your range has a problem with you doing stuff like that, it might be time to find a different range. Maybe where you can maybe train a little smarter, or or just do but. that at a different range. You know, um, and, and again, I mean that by abiding by the rules and regulations of that facility. You know, so one of the things that I do when I turn and and start to egress to my rearward point, um, I'm going to go what they call position sewell which is where I take the pistol and I basically point it directly at the ground and I take my hands and I place them against my chest. It's a very common position for uh, SWAT, law enforcement, and we actually teach that position in all of our concealed handgun courses for that reason because we want people to understand that when you're in a real-life situation, you're not going to think to yourself, uh-oh, i got to turn around and move. I better make sure that I'm not pointing my gun at anybody other than the bad guy, you know, and, and in an essence. Now, I get that through training and through repetition, 
it will become second nature to not point your gun directly in front of you no matter what direction you're facing. Um, because the reason why we do it that way is because bullets travel in linear directions. If I had my gun pointed in front of me at a, about a 45-degree angle at the ground, if I discharge that weapon, it's going to come down, make impact with whatever's, whatever the ground may be, brick, uh, you know, Concrete, dirt, whatever. Cement, anything. It's going to come up six to eight inches and then travel in a straight line along that path. That's why in all the military movies and stuff, you hear them, stay away from the walls, stay away from the walls. Because what they'll do is point it almost at a 45-degree angle on the wall, as long as it's not an extremely shallow angle. And they'll discharge that weapon, and that bullet will make impact, come out six to eight inches, and then travel in a straight line. Now, if I'm standing with my shoulder pressed up against the wall, guess what's about six to eight inches away from the, that wall? Yeah, center mass of your Center chest. mass. So that's why they talk about, in all the military movies and stuff, you see them stay away from the walls, stay off the walls. That's why to prevent them from getting caught in a situation where somebody's usually using linear direction to damage them. So again, to get back to what I was saying there, you know, it's a lot easier for me to show somebody yes. rather than it is to describe of it. Of course, because, it's kind of hard because people are only listening. It's, yeah. yeah, because they can't picture, <laughs> people are going to paint their own picture in their head, you know, so they may think what I'm saying is one thing when it's actually another. But in essence, what we're doing is um, using our, you know, critical thinking skills to, well, if I have to move, am I going to keep this gun pointed behind yeah. me? How do I get there as quickly as possible yeah. while being as safe as possible? As well as, you know, people say, well, why don't you just walk backwards? I said, do you walk backwards in real life everywhere you go? Well, no. Not to mention when someone's shooting at you and you're under stress. Exactly. You know, you're going to turn and beat feet. You know, not to mention, what if you, what if there's a rock behind you? What if you're at an auto parts store and, you know, people, it's assholes and elbows everywhere and a shelf gets knocked over and now you have a floor jack that's tipped over on its side. Are you going to step over that backwards? Probably not. You're going to step over it like you normally would. You know, one of the things that I like to do in my spare time is there's a company called Active Self-Protection. They're on social media um, it's run by a man named John Coria, and he takes real-life self-defense encounters that are caught on security footage, cell phone, blah, 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 and he breaks them down. Really? No pun intended, blow by blow. And if you watch those videos, you watch those videos, people do not keep their gun pinned on somebody and then turn and keeping that gun pinned on them and then walk that way. They turn, they move, they turn back around and re-engage. Yes. And that's because it's a natural human reaction, you know. So by doing the Blaze X drill the way that we do, all we're doing is meeting the economy of motion as well as basic human function, you know. So, again, it's – I could talk about it all day, <laughs> but until I can show them what I mean, it's difficult to but, describe. But either way, I assume you're going to end up at one of the four corners – well, you always finish back in the center. You finish back yeah, in the center. Yeah, so, you, again, you have to move in an X pattern. That's the whole purpose of the drill. So, if start in the center, I go right forward, I come back to center, and then I go left back. Okay. Uh, you, do, do, you, do you pass the middle, go right to the other corner, or do you stop back in the middle? You always stop back at the middle. Okay. So, uh, so if, basically, you start in the middle, go, go right front, you know, hit, hit your target, come back to the middle, hit your target, go back to the left. Yes. 
back you know, hit left. your target back to the front, like back to the middle. Then now you're going to go, let's say, you know, forward, forward left. left, and then back, back to the middle, middle right back, 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 okay, and then back that makes to sense. center. Yeah, and it's it's probably one of my one of another one of my favorite drills because you get a little bit of everything. You get a little bit of everything, in my opinion. You get, you know. You're shooting steel, so you have that audible feedback. Which, which is so much fun. I oh, love man. shooting steel. It's it's awesome. You know, and then you have movement, which you, you know, you're gonna move. Somebody is shooting at you. You're you know, whether you're sitting down or whether you're standing up, your body is gonna tell you, I'm in danger, I need to get out of here. You know. Um unless it's been pounded into your head to move toward the danger. Your body's natural reaction is going to be get yourself out of there as quick as possible. Yes. And again, you can see it, you know, when you watch those videos, you know, um, you'll see people will literally move away from a confrontation or a self-defense encounter and they'll walk backwards in a straight line. And it's because it's a natural human reaction. Yeah, they're going to do one of two things. They're going to either retreat away mm-hmm. from the situation or they're going to freeze and not know what to do that's how most yeah. people react yes and in essence you know and that's why i think the training is so important yes is because you get their heart rate pumping you get you know you start going from a system two thinking process to a system one so instead of being logical and deliberate you're moving to an instantaneous reaction system if people understand the psychology of that, it's, it's the the analogy of your unconscious and your conscious mind, right? Essentially, and, and they, yes. And they say, what is it like? It's like four billion neurons for your unconscious, and like you know, a couple hundred thousand for your conscious yeah. mind. It's it's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I mean, basically, in in the book that that I've heard about it is called the Ant and the Elephant, mm-hmm. and they basically said that your, the elephant is your unconscious mind, like the mm-hmm. size of it, like that's yeah. how big it is. And your conscious mind is an ant. Yeah. And yeah, the ant can kind of guide your your unconscious mind, mm-hmm. but it, it can't control where it goes. Like if an ant was riding on top of an elephant yeah. and whispering in its ear, so to speak, mm-hmm. of like, do this or that, it might have control every once in a while here and there. But, but not do, 100%. Do, yeah, if the forest is on fire and something's happening, guess what? The elephant's going to do whatever run. it wants. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to go in a straight line. It's going to run over everything yeah. in its path. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the analogy of your conscious and unconscious yes. brain. It, yeah. So, um, you know, because here's the thing, and I, I have had people question that, you know, the whole, you know, well, you can't turn away from, you know, the target or, or you know, they, they find themselves wanting to backpedal rather than turning and looking at what they're moving to. Um, you know, and I try to explain to him, I said, what, you know, what's behind you? What do you mean? And I said, where's your next point of egress? And they said, the cone. And I said, okay, but where is the cone? Well, it's behind me. I said, oh, but that doesn't tell me, that doesn't answer my question. Where exactly is that cone? Because that's your next point of quote-unquote egress, okay? So in real life, if I have to get behind a mailbox, am I going to backpedal until I just find a mailbox? <laughs> no. I'm going to turn. I'm going to look at it. It's going to register in my brain, and I'm going to say, okay, feet, let's see if you can move me here as quick as possible. And that's how it really happens. So, you know, I think getting people out of that, you know, again, that square range mentality is important. Because I don't want people to think that we're being unsafe. Because, trust me, we are. I mean, you know, it's, it's it's like anything else. I think a lot of these 
especially like like for me as, as an example like i've shot competitions for years yeah. and you have to keep the muzzle pointed down to the the bullet trap at all times yes. and if you don't do that you're gone you're done then they may never let you come back yeah. if, if you do it once they might just tell you to go home for the day if you do it again they might say never come back yeah. and so like in an, in a real world situation it's not good training because I'm having to move right to left or what have you and mm-hmm. having to keep the muzzle pointed downrange no matter what, whether I'm moving uprange, downrange, side, or whatever. Now, yeah. granted, a lot of times they'll set up a stage so that you're never doing that. Yes. So that you're not going to break break that just because there's a lot of people standing around mm-hmm. and most people there are untrained. So they're just trying not to get anyone hurt. And I understand that, but it's not a good real-world training. But if nothing else, I mean, it's good trigger time. It's it's good to get out, but it's it's different than what you said because again, that's it's only basically like what 180 degrees of the world yeah. is what you're allowed to use, and it's 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 just not the way the real world works. Yeah, and and so I I do think as though there can be times where people are so focused on safety that they're not accounting for the fact that one day survivability kicks in. And survivability does start to come in over top of safety. You know, um, I mean, look at military, for example. There are times where survivability comes in more than safety. You know, you may put yourself in greater danger, but that means that you have a greater opportunity to survive or that others may survive. You know, if that wasn't the case, then why would we have the Medal of Honor? Or why would we have silver stars or bronze stars for people putting themselves in the line of danger to protect uh, their their comrades or their friends or their, you know, and, and in essence, their loved ones? Because, yes. you know, there's a connection there. They care about those people, you know. I mean, it's, it's like people talk about all the time. Like, they're not over there fighting for political reasons, like all the politicians yeah. in, like, D.C. They're there fighting for the brother next to them. Next to them. That's yeah. it. And so... You know, I want people to understand, again, that, you know, we do everything to maintain a level of safety. But we also have to consider the fact that if somebody is shooting at me, I am not safe. My survivability is now more important to me than the fact that I may plow somebody over because I'm running to get away or that I may turn and beat feet. And while my arms are swinging because I'm running naturally... I I may point the muzzle in a direction that I don't intend to in a real situation, you know. And that's where your trigger control comes in. You got to put it up on the frame and do those kind of things. Yeah. And you only you only present it when you're ready to actually squeeze the trigger. I mean, it's like you you fight like you train. Yes. And I and I've seen this firsthand back when I was first starting to shoot mm-hmm. um, competitions. Is kind of where I first met Jeff, and he and he had just opened up his market of classes to the civilian world. I was like one of his first people to come in. I met him, got some good training, and then they started doing uh, monthly shoots mm-hmm. where they were kind of set up like a competition, but it was more like your Tactical Tuesdays. Yeah. It was more of training than it was an actual competition, but they, yeah. they ran a timer so mm-hmm. that people had scores to look at and they could see how they're progressing and everything else. Yeah. And I remember my father-in-law, we were doing a, a rifle to pistol transition drill, so you would shoot certain targets as you're moving down a line to, yeah. to your right, and there was openings that, that were doors, essentially. And you, you would get to the door, the opening, you'd see your targets, you would engage. So this door, you're using your pistol only. Then you holster your pistol, you move down the next one, you use your rifle, and this one's your rifle mm-hmm. only. And then you sling your rifle, you grab your pistol, you move back down to the to the door, and you got another one a pistol, and then you move down, another one a rifle. Yeah. And I can remember 
He had shot some IDPA matches with me. And at the end of your string, when you're done shooting, you have to show the, uh, they run a cold range, so all the weapons are unloaded. Yeah. So you drop the magazine, take the round out of the chamber. Yeah. The RO looks in the chamber and sees that it's clear. You pull the trigger to make yeah. sure that it's really unloaded. Then you holster it. Yeah. And I watched him. So he, he did his, like, let me the rifle was first. I don't remember. So mm-hmm. he did the rifle, slung the rifle, moved down, grabbed his pistol, shot that one. He dumped his magazine, racked around, mm-hmm. and then he's like, oh, shit. Not supposed to do it's that. Like, so he had to refeed <laughs> it with a new magazine, mm-hmm. charge it, holster it, move down. So he had created a bad habit. Yeah, a training from, scar. From doing these competitions. Yeah. And, and that that is just tried and true. I've seen that. I remember mm-hmm. hearing about... I forget where it was. I read about it a long time. It was a long time ago, back when cops were using six shooters. Yeah. And they were getting a bunch of officers getting shot in the field with their hands in their pockets. Yeah. And they couldn't figure out why. So they did this study. They brought in some people to look at what's going on. Well, the the range officer, the trainer, was lazy and didn't Mm -hmm. want to pick up brass. So he told them to put it in their pocket. Exactly. So when these guys were done with their... They're shooting their six rounds of their revolvers. They pop open the wheel, dump the brass in their hand, put it, put in, it their in their pocket. Then they grab their, uh, I don't know if they had speed clips back there, moon clips or whatever they do yeah. now for competitions. But anyway, they'd feed their weapon then, you know, put the wheel back in and mm-hmm. get shooting. So that way when they're done, all the brass in their pocket, they can empty out. They're done. They're quick and easy. There's, there's no cleanup. Grab the targets. Here we go. Yeah. But all these cops were getting shot because they were taking time in a gunfight yeah. to put their brass in their pocket because that's what they've trained over and over well, there, and over. There was a, um, I don't know if you remember the Cahill family. It was a white supremacist family. In Does Southern not Ohio. sound familiar. Uh, got into a shootout with a state trooper. And this trooper, you can see on video, it's, this is all caught on dash cam. Uh, he gets into a shootout with them, you know, boom, 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 uh, slide lock, you know, does an emergency reload textbook by the book, man. It couldn't, couldn't have been more smooth. You know, comes into his workspace transitions get that smag in there charges it and then after he charges that pistol he stops what he's doing while ak-47 rounds are impacting his cruiser windshield bends down picks up his empty magazine and puts it in his pocket no yeah and and i talk i i tell that story in every chl class because empty magazines are bullet magnets and the fact that that's how they train they do their drill they do a reload they charge the pistol, they get ready, and then they, when as soon as they're done, they bend down and pick up their empty magazine and put it in their pocket. So that way, either A, they don't lose it, or B, it doesn't get dirty, What whatever. But it created a training scar. So even in the midst of a gunfight, this guy had rounds coming at him. He was getting shot at by two different people. He still had the thought process to bend down and pick up that empty magazine. Yeah, because it's, it's part of his training. He's not thinking at that point. The elephant, so to speak, has is taken over. Is running the show, yeah. This, this is what we've done. This is what we're going to do. Here we go. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm not sure if he was ever questioned about why he did that, but I guarantee you if you ask that guy, why would you do that? I did. Yeah, I'm sure I, he had know, no idea. He probably didn't even think about it, you know, and even at the class I did on Friday, there was a woman. Uh, and again, I'm not picking on her. I just don't think that she had an, as much experience on the range as some of the other students, but she would take her empty magazine out of her gun and stick it in her pocket. And, um, instead of doing like an emergency reload. Yeah. And the instructor, because she was right next to me on the line, um, you know, said to her, 
don't put that in your pocket. Do you understand why? And he went into why it's not okay to do that. Because in a real gunfight, the last thing I want to do is be fiddle-fucking around trying to put an empty magazine in my pocket. Because if I'm at in, in a gunfight and I'm at the point where I have empty mags and I need to be putting rounds inside of them, something is terribly wrong and it's time for me to get out of Dodge. Yeah. You know, and, uh, you know, I, I didn't say anything because earlier that day I had made a comment to her about something that I had noticed and it really pissed her off. So I just was like, all right, whatever, you're on your own. You know, obviously you don't want to hear anything I have to say because I'm not the guy standing in front of the class instructing. So you, you know, her opinion, my opinion to her. Well, unfortunately you know, with her being a female, I'm sure she gets that from a lot of the guys who think that they're better than she is just because she's a woman. You know, so, so I'm sure just a lot of that just just eats eats away at her, and she's like, eventually is like, all right, shut up. No, I don't and, care. and I get that too. You know, um, because one of the big before I said anything, I asked her, "Is it okay if I give you my opinion? Is it okay if I interject my?" That's opinion? always an important thing to ask. And and she just kind of nodded her head. So I said, "Okay, this is what I noticed." You know, and even the instructor said he's right. I agree with him. You know that what I said was not wrong and she didn't like that at all she did not like that at all even though the instructor agreed with me and reinforced what i said yeah she still had no desire to hear what i had to say so i all right you know no big deal i i learned my lesson just shut up keep your you know I mean, sometimes you have to because i mean a lot of times at the gym i'll, I'll go up to people and I'll yeah. say, hey do you mind if i give you my observation and I know some people are more receptive than others. Yes. Because I'm, I'm not the coach. I mean, I, I like yeah. the coach. I have fun. I help out coach whenever I can because I've been there for like the longest. But it's just some people just don't want to hear it. That's fine. Yeah. But I always try to lead off of like, hey, can I tell you what I saw? Yeah. Especially if they're new. Because mm-hmm. if they're new, they don't know me. Yeah. But if they've been there for a few months, they kind of know me. A lot of times they're looking at me like, hey, what did you see? Because it's, it's always good to have a second pair of eyes because yeah. i'm going to see different things in coaches so mm-hmm. it's, it's a lot of times a good thing. well and i think as a coach or as an instructor you look for those things whether you do it consciously or subconsciously you see those things and because we are a coach or an instructor or a teacher you're more inclined to try to help somebody because that's the dynamic of what you're used to so when that dynamic changes you know, I think it was, I don't want to say difficult, but I had to remind myself, you're not the instructor, dude. Shut your mouth. Just do your thing. Especially after she got bent out of shape with yeah. me, you know, because she didn't say a word to me for the rest of the day, you know, and I even found a water bottle on the ground that was just laying there and I, I picked it up and I held it up. I said, hey, is this anybody's water bottle? You know, I didn't want to throw it away if it belonged to somebody, you know, and she she goes, it's mine. And I said, oh, okay, here, you know, I, I said it was laying on the ground. So I didn't, you know, they asked us to keep, keep it neat and tidy around here. So that's what I'm doing. If I saw any trash on the ground, I would bend down, pick it up, throw it in the trash can, you know, and she got, you know, a little bent out of shape with that too. And I'm just like, Hey, you know, whatever, you know, you don't have to be a bitch. I mean, (laughs) but in the same, some people can be a little grumpier than others and it is what it is. But, you know, I don't know. I, I do think that there are certain people at those conferences who in a way look down on me because I'm not law enforcement. You're always going to have some of that. And I'm okay with that. That doesn't bother me one bit because all I tell them is, uh, all right, well, I'll see you on the range. We'll see who does better. You know, 
and I mean that in the least egotistical way possible. You know, when people discredit me for not being law enforcement or, you know, whatever it is they think I should be, you know, I just tell them, okay, you know, well, I'll let my skill level speak for itself. I don't have to prove anything to you. You know, you want to step on the line together? We can, you know, but don't get upset when I beat you then, (laughs) you know, because I train and I bet you I probably train a lot harder than you do. You know, and again, I'm not saying that to be egotistical. It's just what I've noticed. I mean, a lot of police officers don't get the kind of training that they need to, to do the, to do their job. They just they just don't have it. No, because here's the thing. Being a cop isn't all about shooting a gun. You know, you have to have so many different skills available to you as well as, you know, the logistics of it and the paperwork and, you know, making sure that you're operating inside the parameters of the law, you know. And understanding how to communicate with people. Yeah. And different personalities yeah. and how they take things and mm-hmm. what to do and how to communicate. It's just, it's a huge part of what they do. Yeah. So I think that there are times where just because, you know, and I, and I don't hold it against anybody. You know, they got a lot they have to do. You know, not only that, but they also have to consider the fact that there's always someone watching them. Because if you look at the way the public and the media treats law enforcement officers nowadays, you know, an officer will be justified in, in, you know, using deadly force and the media will just crucify that officer. Not because they actually did anything wrong. Honestly, it's just because it makes good ratings. Exactly. They don't care about the person. They don't care about the officer. They don't care about who, who they shot. They don't give a shit. Nope. They're there to sell a program that's dying because most people don't want to watch the news anymore because it's garbage. Well, and people eat that shit up. I mean, they, ne- they negative do. shit sells. Yep. This is why you see garbage on the news, mm-hmm. which is why I haven't watched it in a yeah. very long time. So, but again, I digress. You know, I, I have I hold nothing against her for that. You know, that, she, she that's just, just her prerogative. She was probably just having yeah. a rough day. Well, and that's, it is what it you know, is. yeah, and it is what it is. I just said, all right, you know, if you, you know, it, I said to myself, all right, if you want to continue to make mistakes, that's fine, you know, because I'll listen to anybody. It could have been anybody on that line could have said to me, hey, man, I noticed you're doing this. And I just said, hey, thanks. Thanks for pointing that out, because that's how you learn. That's how you grow. That's how you get better, you know, and, you know, hey, maybe I just wasn't the right person for her for that yeah or maybe like i said maybe it's just the wrong day maybe she had a rough time or she didn't yeah. sleep well or there's problems at home or work or whatever anything. who knows anything's yeah. gonna happen but uh so it is what it is and i didn't get too upset i i just said all right man i guess better just keep your mouth shut here so and, and that's <laughs> and that's what i did and and so i just went ahead and uh you know just went about my thing and i let it go in one ear and out the other and just kept moving forward. I don't have time to dwell on the fact that she got upset with no, me. No, there's no point. No. All it's y- done. It's over. It's yeah. in the past. Move on. Yep. Move forward. So, but, uh, Very cool. Well, any, uh, anything going on at the shop for you guys? Any new classes coming up you guys want to talk about? Um, I, we do have Pat McNamara coming back again at the end of this month. You guys month. still have any slots open for that? I assume it's sold out. Uh, I think there's only four spots left. And the reason why I think there's four left is because there was a couple guys who, due to their department schedule, had to back out last minute. Okay. And so I think that did open up a few, as well as we changed the venue from our own facility to uh, our, I want to say, sister facility in Fredericktown, Ohio, East Group, um, which is infinitely better than what we have, you know. And so um, the 
number of people that can be on the range at one time was like doubled. So that, you know, instead of only having 14 students in that class, now we were able to go up to like 25, you know. So it a little while ago, it did open up to another group of people because now we have more availability because the range is bigger. It can handle more people. And then there was a couple snafus with some people's training, you know, uh, schedules in which, terms of like their department. Yeah, that or their sort of work stuff's or, always going to happen, which yeah. is why there's always a wait list and people can yeah. jump on that. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, I do think that a couple of the guys that I had talked to uh, up at OTOA this year were interested in going. And so I gave them my info and I was like, hey, man, just reach out to me, let me know, and we'll see what we can do. Well, if somebody wants to sign up for that, where do they go? Um, the best thing that they could do is probably just call down to our shop. You know, uh, the way we're doing things right now is we'll send them an invoice via email uh, because we don't have it listed on our website, nor does Pat have it listed on his website. Um, so the best thing that they could do is either reach out to us through social media, email, or phone, and um, we'll send them an invoice via email. They can pay it online with their card or whatever, and then we'll send them the training info, the the gear list, the um, uh, what's it called, the address to the range yep. and, and directions and all that stuff too. So very cool. That's, in my opinion, probably be the best way to go about it. All right. So where do they go to find that information? Um, if they want to uh, get our contact info, they can either go to our website, which is ioftwtg.com. So Instruments of Freedom Tactical Weapons Training Group.com. <laughs> that's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, or they can get on social media, you know, Instruments of Freedom on Facebook or Instagram. Um because our contact info is all listed on there. Or if anybody here is listening, they want to go ahead and contact me directly, they can shoot me an email at efrontz, E-F-R-O-N-T-Z, at ioftwtg.com. And that uh, they can just send me an email saying, hey, man, I heard you on, you know, Matt's podcast, and, you know, I'm interested in the Pat Mac course. So I'm pretty sure it's seven fifty per person. For a two-day, it's called TAPS, uh, Tactical Application of Pistol Shooting. So this class is a two-day pistol-only course. Okay. Um, and for people who think that that's a lot of money, it really isn't that much money, especially when you get like that high caliber of a teacher coming in. Yes, because, yeah, I mean, that's that's Pat gets what Pat gets, you know. And, and again, this comes back to the whole experience thing. That's what 22 years of being an original Delta operator for the United States Army gets you. You know, that's the benefit of him doing all that. And, and not to mention his classes are probably sold out all over the country oh, all year long. Oh, yeah, all year long. If you if you have an opportunity to go and you have the money, I tell people go all the time because you're probably not going to find the same caliber of training in our area uh, for that price you know, uh, very often. So, um, I recommend that people do it. Not only that, but, you know, I don't know. I could go on and on and on. Um, (laughs) you know, knowledge has no physical weight. You know, I don't wake up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to be in a gunfight today. You know, we are reacting to a situation that's happening to us. Knowledge has no physical weight. So if I know I'm going to get into a gunfight, I'm going to take as much with me as I possibly can carry. So, 
you know, having that training and that skill, you know, it, to me is important. You know, we don't rise to the occasion. We fall back on our highest level of mastered training. And that's been proven for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that that's how it is. You know, um, very rarely will someone rise to the occasion. You know, obviously there, it does happen because there's anomalies and everything. But uh, generally, I think people fall back on what they can master, you know, and if all you've mastered is one eight hour course, then that's the, you know, that's the fight you're going to be bringing to them is an eight hour course. And that's it, you know. Um, so, but again, hey, I, I get I get that not everybody has disposable income to where they can go do that training and or even time, you know, it, it does take a lot of dedication to do that kind of stuff so i do hope that people can make that window of time and save a few bucks well even if they're just saving up for it for one once a year they can go to a class like that the rest of the time just doing some training on their own or maybe coming to a tactical tuesday like yeah. you guys run mm -hmm. doing stuff like that just to try to stay sharp you know? yeah just once once a week is is better than nothing yeah well i mean shooting is a perishable skill if you don't practice it it goes away you know, um, just because it's not something we do every day, you know, you drive your vehicle every day, you, you know, cer certain people have certain skills that they do every day or use those skills every day. So then it does become second nature. If you want your own defense to be that you have to practice consistently. And I think that's where people have this idea that, you know, well, if I, I got my concealed handgun license, I'm good to go, you know, and that's, I don't want to say it bothers me, but it does. You it know? should. It bothers me a lot. So, because the lack of education and the lack of skill. Most people are not responsible or trained enough to be able to carry a loaded firearm in public, period. No. In my opinion. You have to be an asset to the public, not a liability. In my opinion, and this is something I got from Mac. Um, it is morally and ethically wrong to carry a tool that, that is designed to save a life by taking another without being properly trained in its use. I mean, it is that that's what it is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It, it is a tool designed to save life by taking another. And if you're not trained on the use of it, you could put other people or yourself in greater danger, you know, um, uh, by by doing that absolutely you know so again I'm, i don't say that to offend anybody because i'm sure somebody out there somewhere well i know what i'm doing like okay and that's fine don't you know we're not here to stroke egos we're here to be better be better students be better shooters better concealed carriers you know like i said we have to be an asset to the public absolutely. not a liability absolutely and if i'm putting other people in danger that's not an asset that's a liability you know the last thing i want to do is hurt an innocent person i, I don't want to hurt anybody in general but if i have to i will and I, I and an innocent person does not fall in that category so having that skill to me is is of the utmost importance Sounds good. And then so, people can probably follow you guys on social media and go to your website and find all the different class schedules and everything else that's going on. So even if they can't make the Pat McNamara class, get to another class, get some training, have some fun, learn, 
just have a good time. It's it's always a good time hanging out with the boys in the range. Oh yeah, you know, and that's one of the things that I can say for us too is that I get a lot of positive feedback from our students saying, "Man, that was fun. You guys made this fun." Because if there's no fun factor there, why do it? You know, you have to enjoy it. And you know, I watched a video just the other day of they were trying to get people. There was a set of stairs and an escalator. And it was like 87% of people took the escalator. And they said, well, how can we make the stairs more utilized? So this guy came in, and this happened in Norway, I believe. And he took these electronic pressure pads, and he put, put them on every single step in the stairwell, and he made it look like a piano keyboard. And when people would step on the, on the step, bum, 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 you know, all the way up the steps, like a keyboard. And they saw that 66% more people took the stairs because it was fun. Yeah, it was interactive. Simply because there was a a a fun factor. Yeah. And so, I mean, in this video, you see people jumping up and down, dun, 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 you know. know, The fun factor was there for them. So they were more inclined to do that. And I, and I, I feel that way about a lot of things. You know, if there's no fun factor... What's the point? You know, nobody likes doing housework. Nobody likes going out and mowing the yard. So, well, maybe some people. Do. There are some people who genuinely yeah. enjoy that. No, but I'll I don't. Bet I, don't you. I don't care to do it, but I like the results of when it's done. Yes. So I appreciate that. Yes. Well, I I do know one guy who loves to mow his yard, and if you drive past his house every week, it is it is prim and proper, and he has the nice checkerboard pattern in his yard where he goes one way and then he turns around. And he you know he's got the checkerboard pattern and. You know, but he enjoys that. So when people drive by his house and they're like, oh, wow, what a beautiful yard, you know, he gets to, you know, ah, you know, <laughs> that's my yard, you know. And and we're always busting his chops. I said, dude, I'm going to come, I'm going to do donuts in your yard. <laughs> you, know? you better not, you know. So it's stuff like that. But again, there's a fun factor there for him. It may not be for everybody, but for him it is. So that why that's why he goes to the extent that he does and same thing with me with shooting there's a fun factor there for me dude any chance i get to go blow off rounds i'm going and blowing off rounds like i got done with all my yard work last night i mowed i did weed whacking and you know all that stuff and i had my range gear with me and i was like man i wonder if there's anything around the house i could shoot at you know so i was uh you know trying to find something i could shoot at you know, because I was going to maybe go just blow off a few rounds at, at the house. And I have a nice little spot where I could go shooting and, you know, but uh, I didn't have anything to shoot. So I was like, <laughs> man, son of a bitch. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, to me, that's fun. So I understand not everybody's going to feel that way. You know, uh, not everybody's going to take it to the same extreme that I do. But nor do they need to. No. That's just not the life for them then. No, and, and that's, that's fine. fine. Yeah, I'm happy for them, and I hope they find that balance. I hope that they find that, you know, mixture of fun and utility. You know, why am I doing this? Why am I utilizing these skills? Okay, well, for our particular situation, I do it because I care about my well-being and the well-being of my family, and in my opinion, that's the best way for me to protect that. Some people, they have a different, you know, why do I do this? What's what's the purpose for this? And then they can start meshing that fun 
into it. It starts to overlap, you know, um, whether that would be computers. You know, I have a friend of mine, he, that's all he does. He buys old computers, he tears them apart, he rebuilds them and turns them into these supercomputers, and then that's his hobby, you know, and I want one, but there's no way I can afford it because this thing's <laughs> like got blinking lights and glowing and it's beeping and it's got all this stuff going. And I'm standing there scratching my head like a caveman. Like, what? <laughs> what's this? He goes, that's a fan, dumbass. And I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know. <laughs> you know, but uh, if we were to go out on the range, it would be the same thing. Just roll reversal. You know, he'd be like, what's that? Well, that's a magazine, man. You, know? <laughs> you dumbass. <laughs> but uh, be nicer than that, damn yeah, it. Yeah. So, but uh, no. Again, I think there has to be a level of enjoyment there. Otherwise, people won't be so inclined to do it. So, I try to make things fun for people, and you know, um, that's just how it has to be. If people aren't enjoying themselves, why would they go do it? I mean, it's certainly a lot of fun. Yeah, so that's why I'm here. It's always this a is good awesome, time. <laughs> man. I, lo- I love doing this stuff. I love talking about this stuff. So, well, I appreciate it, Ethan. It's a pleasure having you back on the show. I'm sure we'll definitely do this again. Yeah, man. And uh, for you guys, we will see you guys next time. All right, see you. All right, well, that wraps up another fun episode. I had a blast hanging out with Ethan, getting to talk to him and bullshit for a while. It was it was definitely a good time. We will definitely have him back on the show. We'll see what's coming up next with some of their training and what's going on. And we might even just sit down and bullshit about life. And who knows what we're going to get into. That's the great thing about this podcast is we kind of get to go wherever we want to go. It's, it's a lot of fun. At least I'm having a lot of fun. So hopefully you guys are enjoying listening to it. But still, we need to get the show out to new people. So please tell your friends. Share it on social media. Do all that kind of good stuff. And please go out to Podbean iTunes and Stitcher. Let's leave the show five-star reviews so we can get that bumped up in the rankings so new people will see it and hopefully check it out. Well, that's all we have time for this week. We will see you guys next time on Uncensored Humanity. <laughs>